further and bring back some of the like the belief in like what we're doing just internally within our profession mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I feel like that's something that has you you read like the face ODs on Facebook and you read you know other stuff out there and see what people's mentality within our own profession is and you can see how that has led to the outside world and how their views of what we do um, be affected by our own attitudes and the way that we are during exams or during interactions with them and and unfortunately I don't think that's been a good thing. Welcome to the Wolf Admin Podcast. Today I had a great discussion with my good friend Dr. Drew Bateman. If you don't know Drew, he's the president-elect of the Nebraska Optometric Association and he's built a highly successful practice in Lincoln, Nebraska. We spoke about how we have discussions with our patients on pupillary distance, online glasses, And in addition, we talked about how secret societies exist in optometry and our new upcoming podcast that explores critical events and pivotal people in our profession. Please enjoy our conversation. And as always, if you want to get the most current episodes, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review. So, all right, we're, we're already into this. <laughs> Thanks, Drew, for uh, for being on the podcast. I um, So, I, I kind of want to explore what you're just talking about. I think when... So, uh, if we can back up a bit and yeah. maybe this is prefaced by somewhat what we're seeing from a legislative standpoint, not just locally in Nebraska, but across the country, uh, maybe not, but... You, you know, I've I've felt the same insight is that kind of one of my goals with with this podcast uh, is to kind of shed light on what people are doing that's really awesome within our profession and specifically within Vision Source. But in your um, in, in your and my discussion over, I mean, it's been like seven months since we we did this for the first time, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and so like beyond just that seven months of time, I mean, all of our, our friendship, it's been kind of like, you know, we're seeing things change within the profession. And maybe that comes down to the the fact that we, um, what we're seeing change, maybe because we're not, because we haven't as a profession been able to continue to to tell the stories of what's going on or what has historically gone on in the profession. Is that is that an accurate statement? Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely would say that's an accurate statement. So, if we talk about social media in general, and, and obviously, I think there's some social aspect to podcasts as well, but I think we have the opportunity to get deeper down into uh, a topic. What what specifically do you see uh, in social media that has kind of underscored this disconnect between why optometry is the way it is? And why we're might we may not be seeing the same sorts of things in the future, and how that's translating into um, into a perception of what we do. I know there's a lot there, but we can unpack that one by one. Sure. Well, I don't know. I guess the thing that I I notice is is when you get into discussions on uh, or read through discussions on uh, places like ODs on Facebook or there's a number of them out there. Um, and, and I don't think this is across the board, but not whether it's optometry or the rest of our rest of your life. Um, you got to kind of think about what's your reality versus what is the majority of reality out there. 
And, and I think we're kind of sheltered in a good way within our, even our local group here within vision source, uh, also within Nebraska itself, whereas, uh, or whereas optometry and optometrists, um, within that group have been great mentors and, and people to kind of listen to about what optometry has been, um, what we do within our state, the level of care that we provide and, and that we need to from an access from a patient standpoint. But when you step back and you read some of the national stuff out there, and I guess one of the things that kind of just triggered me internally uh, about this was, was reading through a, uh, uh, deal yesterday where somebody was talking about just the basic issue of, do you give out a PD for somebody that's getting their stuff online? And is it part of your prescription or not part of your prescription? And, and, and that's something you can delve into for hours, but, um, you know, in, in, in my opinion, it's not part of my prescription. We don't take a PD unless it's done during the dispensing of glasses or fitting of glasses. But a lot of the comments on there were like, well, is it worth the battle? Is it worth giving that fight to, to lose a patient? And, you know, in, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, well, this all kind of goes back to marketing. Like we have lost that to some degree. We have lost that connection with our patients where um, maybe it is worth a little bit of those fights to to let them understand the process of of getting glasses or dispensing glasses that a PD is part of the measurement of taken with your frames. And, and I think the, even those simple measurements, I guess, have just been simple, have been, um, devalued. And so then these imperfect systems ha are allowed to take those measurements and people are willing to settle for it. And if we don't take the time to stop and educate the patients where those come from, why they're important, you know, and, and kind of fight that battle, even though it takes more minutes in the dispensary, then we continue to kind of slowly erode away at what we do and what our specialty and our expertise of expertise of our clinic is. Yeah. And, and so you, you said that ha that discussion has to go on in, in the dispensary, but I, I think, you know, that does also start with, with the doctor. So oh, a patient totally. asks us and we get that too. I, I don't ever relish that question, but, mm -hmm. um, but I think you have to have a good answer for, you know, what the mm -hmm. difference is or why can I have a PD or what the PD does? What's your, what's your kind of 30,000 foot, um, discussion with a patient on that or even a yeah. 5,000 square foot, 5,000 yeah, foot, foot. I've simplified mine pretty, pretty, I guess uh, it doesn't take long. I, I say, you know, we don't, that measurement's actually part of the uh, process of getting your glasses measured and fit to your face. And, and, um, we do not, do that unless we're fitting those glasses because the moment we give a measurement um, as part of a medical device that we don't control, we're assuming some of the liability within the manufacturing of that that pair of spectacles. And when they're made online and they can't take some of the other measurements that are necessary to have a well-fitting pair of glasses, um, you as a patient would still look at to us to be the ones to fix that problem. And we are not the ones who made the glasses. So we just don't take on that, that responsibility for taking any of those measurements that we don't have control over. How do patients respond to that? Uh, most of them have actually been like kind of started nodding their head. Like, okay, I, I get that. I understand. I guess I didn't realize what, you know, what that was or how that worked. 
Um, mm-hmm. I, I honestly haven't had anybody respond negatively to it at this point in time. My next step I, I go to from there, and I guess this maybe helps, is I say, you know, if you're looking for a value pair of spectacles, um, I would recommend you go to uh, one of the local uh, eyeglass worlds or places like that where you at least have somebody in front of your in front of you taking a measurement and and that you can go back to and talk to. And I think that also helps because they're then they're like, oh, he's not just trying to get me to buy a pair of glasses here. He's truly concerned about how my glasses are made and how that's done or whatnot. So, yeah, I think that's that's actually a really good way to do it is. Um, yeah, I like that. At least it puts somebody else that's a live person in their chair, you know, that can respond right. if there's a problem. How right. do you handle, let's say a patient comes back, you know, I, I'll, we can talk about, you know, what I've kind of arrived at, but how do you handle a patient that comes back then? Because you are writing some prescription and taking some mm-hmm. responsibility for the actual numbers that are in the, in the glasses. But mm-hmm. let's say that patient goes, still goes online or still goes someplace else and comes back in um, and isn't have, is having problems. They couldn't get fixed someplace else. What's mm-hmm. your approach to that? Uh, first my staff looks at their glasses, looks for any adjustment issues, um, dots up the OCs, you know, kind of looks at where the layout is of the pair of glasses. Um, what we would have measured their PD at checks what that is within the glass, the frame and lenses themselves. Uh, if everything checks out there based on my prescription, uh, then they'll bring them back, uh, for an RX check. Um, and during that RX check though, I always have them make up a pair of, uh, trial lenses, uh, within a, within the trial lens set and walk them out to the front and see how they feel about their vision within that trial lens set. And if that trial lens set looks good and they're, and they, the patient says, Hey, that's a noticeable difference from what these glasses are. Then we kind of have the discussion about, um, the optics of the lenses and, and, where they're at. And, and also usually check the prescription really quick and, and kind of see where we're at within it. But, um, a lot of times it comes down to that OC and you measure the measure, the OC and you lift the pair of glasses up. So the OC is aligned where they're supposed to. And they're like, well, that's, that's a lot clearer than it was before. So uh, I guess that's kind of well, our, our quick process. No, I think that's, that's good. Um, who pays for that? Right. Nobody right now. Uh, we, we've yeah. discussed that. Certainly we, we've certainly discussed that. And, and, uh, it, randomly we've had a couple of patients that are like, oh man, that took a little bit of time uh, to figure that out, you know, and, and kind of get, they kind of, it dawns on them without having to say anything about, ab- about that time. So yeah, we've discussed internally whether we need to, um, you know, be charging something for those, for those, uh, issues. And, and, uh, this is kind of a side note, but my our office manager, her husband, is a, a tire distributor uh, regional manager, mm-hmm. and uh, we were talking about this very issue because you know the tire world kind of went through a big change uh, a long time ago with Tire Rack, and uh, a lot of the local tire companies now are are actually affiliated with Tire Rack because uh, Tire Rack realized they were having trouble with their getting the tires to people and people needing to get them put on. Um, oh. And those local tire companies didn't have this before, but they now charge, you can have tire rack ship tires to them, but then they're going to charge you whatever it is to 150, 200 bucks to mount them and, and get them on your car or whatnot. And so, uh, him and I just have kind of talked cause he's a former business owner too. He's like, you know, someday you may have to decide to, to offer, a a, a repair package or something like that within the clinic that an outside pair of glasses would 
they could pay for that to have you uh, attend to their glasses. And if somebody bought a pair of glasses from you, it was just included as part of the as part of that transaction. I think that's you know uh, so that's kind of where we've gotten to honestly with our patients is is that uh, I'm happy to if a patient is having problems. Um, which as you know, is super rare with the technology we use. And if you're, you know, if you spend, a, I mean, when I say a little time, I'm talking five minutes doing a refraction and, you know, mm-hmm. following our standard refraction that we were trained to do as opposed to taking shortcuts, um, then, then you're not going to have very many, you know, true RX checks. But if, if you still have one from somebody that, um, you know, obviously if, if, if it's a, if it's a pair of glasses that were, purchased here that our RX check then in our practice that RX check would probably cover everything right i mean it would cover it does it frame is it is it just need to be um realigned does it need to be readjusted etc 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 right but if um if for example a patient were to um come in and purchase their glasses from somebody else or from online and they're still not able to see them, they troubleshoot them and, and we come to the exact same prescription, then we charge patients for that. Um, because we had to redo the work because somebody else didn't do the work correctly. And so we've been doing that for about six or seven months and we let patients know up front when we, when we give them their prescription, every patient gets this, on the prescription, it, there's a statement that says, you know, if you if you decide to provide to get glasses elsewhere and um, and uh, and you're and you have problems with those, if if it's a problem with the glasses, it's going to be a I think it's a thirty nine dollar or forty nine dollar fee. Um, if it's a part, problem with the way they were made, if it's a problem with the prescription, then we will you know then we will um, you know redo that prescription. But we can't know we can't know whether that's the case unless you're you know, you're in the RX check. And and so what that does is it, it has cut down on the amount of patients we get back that are, um, that are coming back to us where they had like one, one adjustment from wherever they purchased their glasses. And now they're not work quote unquote, not working. And they come in and it's like, I put it right in the foropter and I say, how do you see? And they say in 2015, it's like, that's how you should see, you know, like that's how you should see when, when, um, through your glasses. And so, so we, we don't get that anymore. You know, we will still sure. get patients where they've kind of gone through the the ringer someplace else and they're, they're kind of, okay, now I'm going to come back. And those patients are happy to pay. You know, they're happy to pay that extra sure. fee. And then and most of the time, they're also the ones that are ready to buy a pair of glasses from you. So, sure. um, so I think that's cut down on it and it, it makes me feel less upset about trying to do an RX check because a patient got, you know, I, internally, I just felt like this is my time, you know. Like you're taking my time right. to to do this because you just you wanted to get something that you perceived was less expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, that, that's so what we've been doing. Do you have them put a do, before you see them? Do you have them put it in a uh, loose lens trial frame? No, I like that idea though. Um, you know, I like that idea of of being able to do that just to get that you know just to give them one other option. Um, so no, we haven't been doing that. But I wouldn't even do that at the RX check. I would do that before scheduling an oh, totally. RX check. And that's yeah. that's kind of what I've I've instructed my staff to do. And, and I guess also perceptively, um, from a patient standpoint, if you can throw it into that loose lens, be out in the optical where you're in the real world, uh, it removes the um, oh theoretical the magic of the phoropter out of the equation. Right. So they see like right. this thing in front of their face that they're seeing clearly out of, and they're like, oh, well, yeah, there's a big difference there. 
Yeah, and it removes any of the additional distortion that's going to come from a multifocal lens that's you know thirty years you know thirty year old design, right? That yeah. that yeah. they're getting for for eighty bucks or seventy bucks or whatever they're they're purchasing them for. Sure. Um, well, so then let, let's take that idea and and explain to me then how you think that is kind of in a in a bigger sense you think the things that we're experiencing on this micro level with just something as basic as an rx check is causing many of our people in our profession to become jaded at the entire profession i i don't know about many but i i think you you read through those things and people um people make comments on there practitioners make comments on there and and my first thought in my head is, well, have you, have you talked to your patients any differently about this? Or, or when that patient comes in from wherever X, Y, or Z, mm-hmm. and that's been their only experience their whole life. Did how, what did you spend during that procedure to uh, quote unquote market uh, what you do and what the profession can do uh, for that patient? that may be different than what they've done, you know, previously. Um, are you, are you telling them about what you're doing in the exam room during each step? Um, I remember going through a, a thing with a consulting company and, and they said, if you want somebody to know, uh, know about it, you got to tell them about it. So are, mm-hmm. are you doing that, especially the first time you're meeting that patient, you know, and yes, it takes more time and, and we're all worried about time and the amount of time it takes to get people through there. But, um, I'm sure everybody else is comfortable with this, but I remember my, one of my professors way back in school said, uh, you know what normal is. So during your exam, if things are looking normal, why aren't you talking to the patient about something else or about what you're doing or what you're Mm -hmm. looking at? If it looks abnormal, go back and check it out further, but don't, don't waste your time concentrating, um, as hard as you may feel that you need to, uh, as you get more comfortable with these things. And so that kind of always stuck with me that as, as you got more comfortable with routine exams where there weren't, you know, those routine exams are the ones where you have a chance to reach a patient. The ones that come in for a problem, they already know they're there. They, they understand your value and why you're here and, and they're looking for your opinion. But those routine patients yeah. are the patients yeah. that you're trying to explain to and, 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 and get them to buy in on what you're, what you're able to provide and able to do. So then, um, do you, do you, because I I totally agree with you. And I think that I also have this temptation sometimes when, when you're backed up or if you're, um, you know, you feel like a patient, oh, this is an easy patient. Um, Mm -hmm. And then not like you take a break, but you know, they are a routine patient. Things are pretty stable. Mm -hmm. Do you ever, how do you kind of resist the temptation to be like, oh, well, we can just move through this. Have you just gotten out of the habit of doing that? Or um, are there times where you still have to kind of focus? Because I find myself where I get the, get there. I'll just tell you my answer is I find myself where I get there and I will refocus to say, okay, now the same thing you're talking about. This is my opportunity to talk about other things with this patient that they may not be aware of. Um, mm-hmm. Do you do you find yourself consciously doing that as well? Or it's just so ingrained in you that, um, that it's, it just comes automatically? Well, I'm probably not as good of a practitioner as you are. And so when I, uh, when that <laughs> happens, that's, that's my chance to sit there and just talk with them. I mean, that, that's where, that's where my focus goes when it seems like it's, it's pretty straightforward. Um, so there are times I get done with the end of an exam and, uh, I have to consciously 
finish up with the reason that they're in the clinic. Why? <laughs> hey, we need to let's talk about your eyes again here. Cause I realized we didn't talk about their eyes at all during that visit. Right. You know, we, we talked more about personal things and, and whatnot. And so it is, it is a conscious, a conscious decision to, to go back and, and recenter at the very end of every time, no matter what, what we look at, you know, what, what did we see there? Uh, whether it was the blood vessels in the back of the eye, um, you know, I, I almost have to remind myself to go back and talk about the refraction. Cause if I'm going to cover something, uh, at the end of the exam, even if it was normal, it's going to be more either about the corneal health or their retinal health than it is about their prescription. So there is every mm -hmm. once in a while, I get the question from the patient. Well, what about my glasses? What, do I need to, yeah. do I need to change those? Like, Oh yeah, let's, let's go back and cover <laughs> that too. <laughs> but, uh, right. yeah, I think, uh, um, another consultant that I'd worked with a long, long time ago said, Every day, every time you walk in that room, you're putting on a production, you're putting on a show. And, and even though it's a, a, a good show based in healthcare and based in, in caring for patients, you're still putting on a show so that those patients, uh, understand and can, can get a feeling for what you're doing. And, and you have to remember that. Otherwise, if you forget it, uh, not, not to knock some of my good, ophthalmology colleagues, but everybody, every one of us gets those patients that come back after they went in for surgery and they're like, well, that guy or gal just didn't really talk to me at all. Or I don't really know what they did, but they said everything was all right, you know? Yep. And we can't let that happen. Well, speaking of our ophthalmology colleagues, I, you know, I, I want to kind of clarify the point that you make, because I, I feel like I understand what you're talking about when you talk about putting on a show, but but obviously the, because I, I can, I can completely hear, um, you know, uh, after all the legislative testimony I've listened to over the last few weeks, I, um, I can hear them saying, well, optometrists are just putting on a show for patients. Right. I think that <laughs> right. obviously, you know, but what, um, you, you know, what I understand you're talking about, and I, I think is absolutely true is the fact that you're always on, you're always, mm -hmm. you know, from a sense of, of perception, I think any good healthcare provider is not just providing good quality care, but they're also communicating mm -hmm. the level of care they're providing to patients. Most importantly, mm -hmm. well, really not not from a, a showman standpoint to advertise or market. That's secondary. Right. It's because if you educate them well, then they're mm -hmm. going to follow through with whatever treatment uh, programs that, that the two of you decide is best for them to, to proceed with. And so I know mm -hmm. that's what you meant. Um, I'm not yeah, trying to put your yeah. words in your mouth, but you and I have talked about this before. And, um, and I think that's, that's key is because sometimes um, people who m may be thinking that they're purely, you know, they're a purist in the sense of, of taking care of disease. They don't need to show they, they can, they do things excellently. Um, I think it's important. And, and I, a lot of times I, I feel like, um, you know, my attitude can be like that. And I try to resist that attitude. Um, and come back to say, cause you know, sometimes I can be like, well, an ophthalmologist would do it this way. You know, I, they wouldn't spend any time right. talk a lot to the patient about it. They just know they're right and move on. And, um, right. and, and yet we're not ophthalmologists and for good reason. And, um, mm -hmm. and we can do things better than that. And so I always mm -hmm. think about Bob Vandervoort and, you know, Chris, don't be an ophthalmologist, don't be an ophthalmologist. And, uh, and so that I always, I always <laughs> try to keep that in the back of my mind in the sense of what he means by that is be better. And, right. uh, and take the time to talk to your patients and give them the quote unquote show, because that does bind them to the practice, which is secondary. What's primary is that it, it gives them understanding, uh, to follow through with those treatment programs.
And, and don't you think that's a big, I mean, whether it's optometry, eye care or healthcare in general, like that's a, I think that's a huge issue just in healthcare in general yeah. is that yeah. we have lost that, that can, it's become purely transactional, which is why patients can get more easily disgruntled because they don't understand what's going on. And maybe there's an easy explanation, but because it wasn't covered during the exam or their time in there, they don't know. They don't, they don't understand what's going on. They can't guess of what we're, of what we're thinking. Um, they can't listen to the, to the complaints and the the symptoms and, and things and, and come up with their own working diagnosis. And so they go in, they see somebody fairly quickly and come out without really understanding what just happened and, and how it happened. And that's leading to a lot of people's also, uh, I feel like uh, devaluation of the healthcare healthcare world in general. That's where we're, mm-hmm. all these people are going on. The young people that are the do-it-yourselfers are going on, you know, WebMD and and diagnosing themselves and coming up with these ideas. And uh, it's a detriment, not I mean, to the whole system too. You know, did you hear, did you listen to the discussion I had with Jeff Holofsky uh, a couple of weeks ago about, um, he, he sent me an article that was talking about fire your doctor. Uh, did you hear about any of that at all? I did not. So, I did not. Um, no. So anyway, um, this is the same point that, that Jeff and I were discussing is that, you know, the patients now have the ability to have their watches tell them their blood pressure. They can, mm-hmm. um, go online and, uh, fill out a couple symptom questionnaire and get their erectile dysfunction medication uh, mailed to them, their hair uh, growth medication mailed to them with taking a few pictures of their, of their uh, head. They can utilize a online app that will let somebody look at them uh, through a computer and get, you know, prescriptions for things like sinus infections and bronchitis, you know, and, and pink eye, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, pink eye. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so there's this idea that people can just sort of take their entire healthcare into their own hands. And mm-hmm. I think to some degree, um, there, you know, there are probably things that we can do in, in terms of a monitoring standpoint. One of the comments that this uh, gentleman, not Jeff, but the article that he was referring to, and this is on one of the previous show links. So if, if somebody wanted to know that they could actually read the article, but um, the, uh, what he was referring to is, you know, all the different devices that he can use to monitor himself. And the first thing I thought about that is, you know, this, the, you know, the alternative slash visibly of the world. Um, mm-hmm. They, there is this idea that because it is available, it is mm-hmm. true or it is accurate. Mm-hmm. And that just sort mm-hmm. of blows my mind when, when I think about like, when we do osmolarity testing or inflammatory testing in my practice, um, mm-hmm. I know that there are going to be a number of patients that are going to come back as quote unquote negative tests and mm-hmm. they're still going to have disease. And I know that there's mm-hmm. going to be patients that come back with positive tests that aren't going to have disease. And we mm-hmm. understand the, we think about this, the sensitivity and specificity and the positive predictive value of a test. And yet patients, I think in this realm of healthcare don't really, many of them, I suspect, aren't thinking of that. They're, they're not weighing all these other things. They think if I have a number, i.e. a prescription, right? Like a glasses prescription, yep. then I can do whatever, it, then everything is the same, right? Like if I, if my watch tells me my blood pressure, then I'm going to assume that it's accurate. Um, 
or you know, or my temperature, or whatever else. We don't really think about the fact that maybe it's only accurate seventy percent of the time, or it's it's only eighty percent accurate only seventy percent of the time, right? So, so like, there's that whole realm out there of what's been tested and what's been proven, and that's where the middlemen of the healthcare professional, the doctors, uh, they they come into play because they, it's it's on them. It's for them to understand what those those values are. And to think through them on whether or not that's going to, they're going to let that change their um, treatment paradigm or they're not going to. And I think that's important. And I think it's something that people don't really think about. It was not even mentioned in the, in the um, article that, that I'm referencing in the fire your doctor article. Yeah, no, I think you're totally correct. Um, I, I think that with, technology which you know i like to read about and learn about new technologies and how they how they integrate but that is that is an issue that people always need to kind of keep in mind in the back of the their head is that ability to make sure that we are questioning the technology in a healthy manner also um you know, it's the same as, uh, like you said, with your, with the dry testing, but it's the same with like, uh, an OCT screener. So you got a yeah, young, healthy person yeah. with a, with a, that gets a random screener that shows they've lost a lot of their GCC. So you look at their nerves, they're perfectly healthy. You look at their pressures are nice and low angles open, no family history of anything. Um, you have history of seeing them for a few years, nothing's changed. Well does that really mean that they've lost G GCC? Did they have dry eye that day? You know, what, what went into that test and, and, yep. and do we really and need to take just, that or. Yeah. Is it just normative database type of stuff? Right. 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 So, so, so then let's, yeah, until, let's talk about that a bit. So yeah. tell me about, um, are you still, well, are you using a screening device for your OCT? Are you using an yeah, OCT we, screener? We do, we do include an eye wellness, uh, with our, uh, with our uh, OptoMap uh, screening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you find like just in, you know, cause we don't, we don't do an OCT mm -hmm. screener. Sure. And I think, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily right or wrong. We don't, we don't do an, right. um, a visual field, uh, a, an automated visual field screener. We do confrontation fields, mm -hmm. of course, but um, mm -hmm. tell me about that. What do you think if you're using an eye wellness, um, how often are you catching something with that that you wouldn't have caught with without it? What's your sense? I know it's hard. Uh, that's it's a, a hard question. question. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know percentage wise. I mean, there's definitely uh, you know pending PVDs and and ERMs on on the older population that you start to see um, some perhaps pigment disruption that I've noticed on the eye wellness that I couldn't really get a good view of with my lens, uh, in the macula. Um, but then on the GCC side of things, there's certainly been some younger people with low, low tension that I've started monitoring that we would went ahead and ran a full, a full, uh, OCT panel on and did some field testing and kind of established a baseline. Uh, and now that we've had it long enough that we've had them back after a couple of years and rechecked it and, there has been some change. And so we got them on a, mm. we got them on a, um, on a, a drop just to bring that pressure down as, as low as possible. But yeah, it's, you, you know, you and I talked about the visual field thing cause we were doing a, just a central 40, I think it was with our, 
or Humphrey, um, because we had it essentially mm-hmm. <laughs> was why mm-hmm. I was doing it. And, and starting out from scratch, I didn't have a lot of people that I was doing full thresholds on. So might as well use it to do something. Uh, was kind of mm-hmm. my thought process. Uh, but since we've expanded, uh, we've gone away from that and have gone back to confrontational fields because as you and I talked, I, I don't know, honestly, on that visual field, if over the first 10 years, we actually caught something on the visual field mm-hmm. screener that led to interesting, a, led to a threshold test. Um, and, and now that I've had could be coincidence, but now that I've done the, the confrontation, uh, testing, more. there's been two. Well, I found two that I went ahead and and did, I know of in the last like six months or whatever, since we changed that. Uh, You know, I I don't know. Do you, so the other thing about, you know, you know, screening tests, screening field tests that Mm -hmm. I also wonder about is if it doesn't give you a false sense of security, like let's say you're looking at a patient and they've got a totally clean field and maybe their optic nerve is a little suspicious, their pressures are, um, you know, let's say they're 65 years old, their pressures are, uh, 20 and, um, and their optic nerves are, um, yeah, I mean, let's say just 0.55 kind of larger nerves, maybe some laminar dots. No, I, you know, I had no identifiable thinning RNFL looks okay, mm-hmm. but their screening field comes back normal and you'd say, well, that's fine. You know, it just gives you another mm-hmm. sense that everything's okay, that you may delay testing because, right. uh, where you otherwise may not, where, you might be looking at that and saying, well, I don't know what their full, their threshold field would look like. So let's get a threshold field and get an OCT. Obviously you already have that. Well, and that's um, a, so that's a good point. That can, Cause in that, that, tell in that exact about setting. that picture. Well, that's a, that's a good, a good point. Cause in that, that exact setting. And that's what, when you and I discussed it, when I just called you to, to kind of see what you were doing, um, mm-hmm. using that example, you just gave in my head, I would, I think I would want to go ahead and have a threshold no matter what. And so then I was like, well, what good was it taking the time to run that, that screening visual field when I using all the other data that we're going to look at anyways, looking at the nerve and all of that analysis that I still would have come to the same conclusion that I wanted to get a threshold to just make sure that we had a baseline and that, that everything looked okay as a glaucoma suspect. Um, and my answer was, yeah, I, I don't know that it was worth it. So that was one reason we, were, we went yeah. back to doing the confrontational fields. Interesting. And so you, tell me about the two things that you found recently uh, since doing confrontation fields instead of your... Um, your yeah, of your one, of them, uh, one of them was just a, a first-time patient uh, glaucoma suspect. Ended up being a glaucoma patient uh, when, when he came in, just an older gentleman. And we just did confrontational fields and I noticed he wasn't... wasn't uh, getting an inferior, uh, inferior zone. And then I looked at his nerves and, and it was definitely questionable. So we went ahead and ran the full threshold test and, uh, but he was low tension. So mm-hmm. that helped with that. Um, and then the other gal was a, um, uh, our gentleman, excuse me, he w- ended up with a, uh, a, uh, cavernous sinus tumor, uh, hmm. the doctor, that Dr. Peter actually in our clinic, um, I believe caught with doing confrontation. What, and then he um, so what other symptoms did he have? Yeah. What other symptoms did he have? Uh, did he have any diplopia should, or? No, no, no. I, I should let Dr. Peter have all the glory okay. of this, yeah. this case study, but it was, it was an interesting one. Cause he actually came in, he came in for a dry eye. He thought his eye dried out during a, watching a Husker football game in the wind. Hmm. And uh, Dr. Peter saw him. 
Um, so it would be a good, uh, Okay. Be a good grand rounds for Dr. Okay. Peter to present. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, I won't. I won't steal his thunder then, or I won't let you steal yeah. his thunder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but it was. It was interesting because you know, it literally the, the only symptoms though were were dry eye, and and mm-hmm. and uh, the left his left cornea was was really chewed up, and um, mm. and it led from there. So. Yeah. Yeah. Those are. Yeah. Those are challenging. I had. Uh, yeah. Um. I think I think when you think about tumors, that's the the one that everybody is always concerned about, right? And and rightfully mm-hmm. so. But I always like to when when somebody talks about it, I always like to kind of explore what they found with them, uh, mm-hmm. because you know what their symptoms presenting were. Because I think we can you know we can learn a lot from you know obviously those types of of uh, of cases, and and kind of when to when to be more concerned and when to be less concerned. So, um, yeah, the, what, yeah one more thing back though on the, uh, on the screening OCT that I, I do like about the screening OCT, um, is on those irregular patients, the, the mm-hmm. one, the young patient that comes in, I, I, now that we've had it for six years is even though they're still showing up irregular, I can go back to those screenings and look at what their GCC was measurement wise. Um, even though it's not a, a full progression of an, of the full OCT, um, it still gives me an idea like, well, yeah, this person's just always been outside of the normative database for their age group. And, and I don't need to worry about that at this yeah. point in time. Yeah. I would say probably the, the speed of an OCT test and the clinical utility of that test is probably, in my opinion, more valid than mm-hmm. a screening field, uh, oh, more, for sure. more probably important than a screening field. We still haven't gotten there yet, but, um, but, and maybe that's just because we're we we think we're smarter than we are to be able to find those things. But you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I could be convinced. You know, I could be convinced that that is something we should do. I I just you know, in terms of where we get bogged down in time, then it's just one additional mm-hmm. thing we've got to do during our pretest. Um, and we use yeah. those devices so much anyway that right. um, you know that that I, I think we we might get bogged down in that process. But that's more so probably an issue of us just figuring out in a patient flow where to put those devices right. more efficiently um, than, than, so, yeah. I, I, I'm not a, I'm not an equipment expert by any means. And, and I, and I'm definitely not speaking to the uh, clinical application of one device over the other device. Um, and I'm not admittedly familiar with the, the Cirrus itself uh, at this point in time that it is one nice thing I do, I do like about, I've got an eye view uh, at this time and it just has that built in eye wellness. So it gets the, uh, the GCC and, uh, I believe it's a retinal map, uh, quick retinal map image that it takes. Um, so we just have our optos in the room and that one's right next to it in the same room. So the person can stays in the chair, takes the optos turns. We take the two, each, each eye scan of the eye wellness and, and they're done with that pre-testing room. So it, it does take yeah, about well, three minutes or so. Yeah. I think the, the, especially if you were going to have like, if you didn't, if we didn't already have an Optos or when we decide to, to upgrade, if we do upgrade an mm-hmm. Optos, I think the, the Monaco, um, oh, which yeah. does yeah. that, you know, w- you yeah. know, so again, you get a screen screener, you don't get a normative database, but you do get a screener of the macula. And, um, I, I think there's, you know, that would be pretty helpful if you're going to use a screening yeah. device as well, all in one tool. Yeah. Totally. Um, 
Well then, uh, you know, Drew, I want to talk to you a little bit about for the last few minutes, um, kind of your experience now, your official title in the NOA is vice president this year. Uh, president is that elect. official president. Elect. Uh, yeah. Okay. And then president elect this year, then I'll be president and then next president year. next year. Okay. Okay. So yeah, that's right. I never get those, those correct. Cause I, I never remember that president elect is after vice president. So tell right, me what, right. uh, you know, I've always, my experience has always been when I've been on boards, um, is that as you progress through a board, you learn more about what, what's going on than you knew, than you, than you knew at the previous level. So like the example I always use is, you know, when I was on the ASA board, cause I kind of traveled through all those different steps and, you know, mm-hmm. you're, uh, you're on the board of trustees and then it's like, wow, I didn't realize all this stuff went on. And then, mm-hmm. um, and then you progress so that was that's one level beyond kind of just the mem- a member of the AOSA, and then you progress into the executive council, and then it's like, wow, I didn't realize this was going on, and so I've kind of the same stuff has happened, you know, all along the way. Once I got on the NOA board, it's like, oh, all these things are going on that I didn't really realize was going on, or I thought, and even, and that's even me, where as a legislative chair, right, like, mm-hmm, like there's mm-hmm. all, you know, as being really involved from a legislative standpoint. And then be, being on the, the NOA board, it's like, wow, okay, there's more things to this than, than what I realized. Um, oh, yeah. And so what, what was surprising, you know, did you have that same thought every time you've kind of moved through the ranks? Uh, and, and if so, what, what was really surprising for you when that happened? Or like something that you, that you thought, oh, wow, this is, this is way more in, in, a, in a good way. Right. Um, well, yeah, I, I think definitely that's been my experience, uh, learning more and more uh, about what the association does and, and where it's involved and how, where its tentacles, so to speak, are, are at. And before I did not, I don't know, I, I guess I I did not have, uh, and I'm still not sure I have the confidence that I'm, I should be doing what I'm doing necessarily, but... <laughs> Um, that also has that been a good, be. in a, a good, good way indicator that you should be doing it. <laughs> you, you, you also learn that, that that's what the people that are involved are everyday people, everyday practitioners that have the same concerns, the same worries that, that you have and, and value the organization the same way that, that you do. And that helps just to kind of reinforce the the power of the association and and how it kind of protects and looks out for all of us in a manner that we would never be able to have the time on ourselves to to do that and and that's been the eye opener for me is that besides the the way that it takes to work with um the groups like the Medicare board and our Medicaid board within the state that we have a representative that goes to that and that we have a representative that goes up to um uh, with, with, uh, right now it's Janet Fett that's meeting with the different yep. insurance, uh, groups and things like that. You know, that information is something that we cannot get on our own and, and having something that goes out and, and gathers yep. all that information. And of course, with the great Ed Schneider that, uh, just retired this past year, you know, nobody in their clinic would be able to do that. Nobody would be able to. Yep to go out and spend that time necessary. Um, we're not a hospital association or hospital uh, groups that have a person dedicated to those things specifically. So each level has opened my eyes more and more. Now this year with president elect and being able to go to president council, you get to see how that is on the national level too. And how 
the AOA as an organization is doing some of the same things uh, to help protect us and help work on the big stage and be a player within the so-called game uh, here nationally. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, that's been my experience as well is that, is that there's these, and, and a lot of people, I think the comment is that, that there's this sense that, that there's this kind of like back room uh, or like this secretive, and I don't think that's the case at all. I think the same thing is said for for Vision Source. I've I've had um, Vision Source people talk to me about like, well, you know, you might know everything because you're an administrator or because you have these like these secret keys. And the reality is, is like I've told people, I was like, I I know things that that are going on, you know, maybe a week or two. And the reason I know them is because I'm paying close attention because I need to let everybody else know. And that's been my experience with the NOA. It's been my experience with the AOA and State Government Relations Committee is that, yeah, we might know more things, but it's not because that information is not available or that it's like a secret. Uh, it's really we know more things because you know, it's our, it's our duty in that circumstance to know more things because just as you said, like with Janet, you know, you're, we're relying on Janet to bring back the information to us. And we're relying on, we were relying on Ed to bring back information to us. And so um, a lot of times I think that perception that it might be this good old boys network or that it might be this kind of secret club um, is, is only the only reason that it feels that way is because we've, we've asked certain people to pay close attention to what's going on and kind of inform us of those things. And, and the reality is, is sometimes we and I, I feel this too. I mean, even like I remember back on Joint Board Certification Project Team, there was a lot of people that thought it was a very secretive process. Uh, I can tell you it wasn't. And I, but the um, the thing the thing that I always think about is that um, there are a, there's the perception that um, that other things are happening, and, and I that's just not my experience. Every time I've encountered somebody. Uh, throughout the ranks of of the NOA or the AOA structure or Vision Source, these people that are in place that are kind of day to day paying attention to what's going on in healthcare or in um, in optometry or patient, you know, whatever's going on with patients and patient protection, those people are are breathing it and eating it, and and uh, so it only seems like it's a secret because they know more than I do. And not, and the only reason they know more than I do is because that's their, it's their job to know more. Right. Um, and yeah. so anyway, I, I, um, I, I don't know where to go with that. It's just, it's just interesting. And I, I don't know that there's, I think part of the initial discussion we had uh, about, you know, social media and, and where things are is because um, it, it really isn't that those, that people don't, have the opportunity to have input. It's mm -hmm. just that sometimes um, we th we can think that, and I get this way too, where I, I think, oh man, you know, how why, why am I going to listen to so and so? You know, I, I I'm just as, as smart as anybody else. And the the truth is, is that um, they may not, you know, I may not. On, and state government relations committee, for example, I I know I'm not the smartest person on that committee, and I know I'm not the smartest person um, in, in any of the organizations that I wind up talking to, but. Um, but it's my job to stay up, stay up to date with, you know, the nuances of different legislation and how to articulate that legislation. And so, um, and so I, I give that same benefit to other people. 
And, uh, and I'm not sure, I, I think that some of the stories that you and I have discussed talking about and, and the people we've discussed talking to kind of help unpack that story for most people, or we're hoping that that would be the case. And so I guess, Drew, then as, as we sort of wrap this up, and I want to stay respectful for your time and your dog's time, is that, uh, is that, you know, you and I have, have discussed having, having a podcast together for, I don't know, it's been probably close to a year, wouldn't you say? Yeah, at least year or two. So tell me about, um, kind of, if if we're going to wrap this up, if we're going to wrap this up tonight, today, tell me about what your, um, you know, what your goals are as we kind of put our podcast together and, and work through it. And kind of where we where we would meet and and how how it would work and why people would want to listen to it. Yeah, I think I think our our goal would be to um, help to pull back the curtain just on some of these big big picture issues that that we we do get a chance to talk about, which we have the privilege of of learning more about because we were involved and are involved with the NOA and involved with the AOA and the, your SGRC involvement and. Um, just be able to bring that to a discussion to anybody that might be interested in, in learning more, because I think you, what you said about secrecy is, is a good point. But if you step back and look at a lot of the people who make those comments, whether it's online or, or where else they've themselves just never gotten involved. So they, they don't know mm. what's going on. So to them, like you said, they, they don't know. So it feels secret. Um, but they don't know what went into it, what went into that decision. And like you said, everybody that I've ever been involved with, if you ask, they're more than willing to talk about how did this come yeah. about? What are the issues at play? How do we, you know, what's the best for the group? Maybe it's not the best for the individual person, but what is best for the entire group? And and I think that's the purpose we hope to get out of this podcast is to, to be able to share those issues, uh, both both future issues and past issues that we've dealt with and, and hopefully get a chance to talk to some people who uh, were involved in those processes uh, that got us to the point that we're at. Yeah. Amen. Well, um, I'm excited to do that with you. This is sort of, uh, I guess we'll serve as our announcement. Um, We'll, we'll start a different feed for, um, for, uh, an additional podcast that kind of, as Drew said, pulls back the curtain on some of what's going on within the profession outside of some of the people within Vision Source of who, you know, of people that have moved the profession forward, people that are continuing to move the profession forward. Um, those are the type of people that we want to talk to. And even just people, Drew, um, you know, that are kind of rank and file guys that are doing really cool stuff. And, right. um, you know, as you said, we've been fortunate to to rub elbows with you know, and stand on the shoulders of some of the giants in our profession. Um, and I'd love to be, be able to bring that um, with you to uh, other people who want to, who are interested in those stories. Yeah. Sounds great. Very cool. Awesome. Well, thanks for All being right. on today. And well, thank um, you. you're welcome. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Enjoy the snow. <laughs>